Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, so, um, yes, I am not. I am not Glenn, as Cindy mentioned. Uh, they had a wedding yesterday. Their son got married. Super exciting. Um, and so they're hanging out with family and friends. Let's see if I can do this and not not breathe heavy on you guys. So, uh, so I get to teach this morning, and I'm super excited about it. It's been about a year and a half since I've taught. Um, so it's been a while, uh, and uh, so the reason I, one of the reasons I haven't taught for the last year and a half is, as I think most of you know, um, my wife Rebecca had was diagnosed with breast cancer. So we went through surgeries and treatments for the last year and a half. She's cancer free now. So yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's happened. And then the other big news that I'll share with you guys is. Monday, six days ago, uh, my daughter Grace had her baby, so I'm a grandpa now, so, yeah. Uh, he was born at 26 and a half weeks, so it's that excitement with some concern, because that's about 92 days early, so, um, you know, he's doing great. Uh, we got to see him, and uh, it, it's awesome. So, all this stuff is going on. Uh, we sent our, our daughter, one of our daughters, we have four of them, one of them to Uganda um, on Friday two weeks ago, I guess, or a week and a half ago, something like that, and uh, all sorts of stuff. So if I'm an emotional mess up here, that's my reason. That's why. <laughs> Just a lot going on. And as it happens, the passage today is about healing. Uh, so I could be a total mess up here, um, just so you know. Uh, well, let's pray and get started. Jesus, we, uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here with us, that you're present among us, that, um, that you are here uh, to, to meet us where we are, to touch us, to heal us, uh, to, uh, to be close to us, God. And we ask that you be close to us now, that we would press into you, press into what you have for us this morning. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage first. It's kind of a little bit of a long passage because I'm going to go from uh, the middle or, uh, to the end here. Um, and we'll cover most of this, some of it more heavily than other parts. It says, on the other side of the lake... Uh, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was, 12, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt the healing power go out from me. When the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd 
heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking with her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She's not dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted they not tell anyone what had happened. So there's a lot going on here. There's a, there's a, a short story inside the story, and we're going to focus on both those. But before that, I want to talk about some context, uh, a little bit about where we are. So, so we've been doing a lot of stories here, lots of travel, lots of moving around, uh, and there's a map up there. These maps are really great because they talk about kind of where, where we've been. And look, I got a little pointer here. So the last story we did, uh, you know, we had, the, um, we had the storms on the sea that was here coming over here. And then there was the guy that met him over there. This is the drowning of the swine. So all the demons came out of the guy, went into the swine, jumped into the water. That was over there. And then it says, well, Jesus got back in the boat and he went back over to the other side. So we're here. That's where we are. But we're not far from lots of other stuff that's going to happen, you know, later on, stuff over here um, that we'll see coming up, uh, coming up soon. But it's all in this really small little place, about uh, eight miles from here to here. That's how long that is. It's pretty interesting. So on the other side of this lake, there was a crowd there waiting for him, and I imagine they had uh, heard a lot about him, which is why they were waiting. But I want to talk about some of the characters also. So Jairus, I always called him Jairus, but then I read it again, and it's AI before the U. It was, so it's Jairus, I think, or Jairus. Uh, so it says that he was the leader of a local synagogue, and he came out and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him. Uh, some interesting things about him. He's a Jewish leader. So uh, he's not just a guy. He's not just a guy who has a sick daughter in this context, because remember, Jesus has been uh, talking as he's been teaching about Pharisees, about people who are religious leaders. So he's not been well received by them because he's been really speaking poorly of them. Uh, he's also been sort of flying in the face, if you will, of their, of their traditions and culture. And you'll see some of that here uh, as well today. And so there were some folks, uh, particularly in the religious groups that had shunned Jesus. They've said, he's a kook, you know, uh, kind of a cult cult leader, sect, something different that we're not a part of. He's different than us. Um, but his only, his only daughter is dying, right? Uh, <laughs> already. <laughs> uh, so I've been in that spot, right? I've, I've been in that spot where um, <laughs> not my only daughter, but my daughter was dying, right? Uh, my, some of you know, <laughs> Grace, who just had the baby, when she was little, she was four, um, she had spinal meningitis, encephalitis in the hospital. Her heart rate kept going down, going down. They just turned the monitor down so that the sound wouldn't bother anybody, uh, but they didn't know what to do. Um, and <laughs> they, uh, they basically just 
started talking to us as though she was going to die. You know, when the doctor has that moment with you and he says, so do you have any other kids? Uh, it's terrible, right? It's really terrible. Um, and so I know, uh, having been somewhere near this spot, that he's desperate. He'll do anything at that moment. Um, he doesn't care what <clears throat> the rest of the world thinks, what the religious leaders think, what his friends think, what his family thinks. He just wants his, his daughter to get well, right? Um, so he's a mess, and, uh, and he doesn't come and ask respectfully. He doesn't come and say, sir, will you please come? Uh, he doesn't come and say, um, I've heard that you can prescribe something. He falls at his feet, I'm guessing, he weeping and saying, please come, my daughter's dying. Okay. That's the context, but there's a whole crowd around him uh, watching this whole deal uh, take place. So I want to talk about the daughter a little bit. Well, we don't know a whole lot about the daughter except she's about 12 years old um, and that she's dying. Later on, we find out she's dead uh, before they even go. Uh, this is just Black Cherry's uh, sparkling soda, just so you know. Um, this is <laughs> on the outside, anyway. <laughs> um, so... so <laughs> So at 12 years old, uh, she is near uh, marrying age. Um, at that age, they were, uh, they were getting married pretty young, 12 to 15, 16, kind of in that range. It's largely believed that Mary was about 15 uh, when Jesus was born. Um, childbearing age, uh, I only want to touch on this uh, because it's, it's pertinent to the next story, but you know, childbearing age means that you're fertile. It means that you have a cycle I'm not going to embarrass anybody or talk about anything like that, especially myself. I do have uh, two sisters, four daughters, and a wife, so I know how this stuff works. Um, but uh, she was of that age um, where that kind of thing is happening. So uh, she's at a, at a place where she could have, um, she could have kids. She could get married. Right? She's, she's, up, she's kind of entering that new stage in life in, that, in the context of that society. And uh, she'd been sick for a while. You know, she, hadn't, uh, she didn't just die all of a sudden. It wasn't some freak accident. She had been sick for a while. Things had progressed. He got more desperate. He said, I'm going to go try this Jesus guy and see if he can help. And then she died. That's what we know about her. So um, the crowds. There's a couple of different crowds that are talked about here. One is the crowds that were meeting him as he landed on the water uh, on the other side. These crowds were expecting something, maybe even a show. They've heard lots of things about what Jesus had done. Uh, they were super excited to hear how he might move on that group and be able to see maybe this guy is the Messiah. We're super excited about what could happen here. And so they're excited. They're pressing him, pressing him, pressing in on him. So it wasn't just a, um, an orderly crowd. My guess is that it's a, it's a large crowd pressing him, pressing him, pressing against him. There's another crowd um, that uh, was at the house Different crowd, very different crowd. Uh, they have zero expectation. They're wailing and crying. Um, they're there because the little girl's dead. And so they're there with no expectation that anything will happen. When Jesus shows up, it's nothing more than comic relief because he says she's still alive. And they said, no, no, she's, she's dead. Um, so there's the, in terms of faith and expectation, just think about those two groups um, in this story. One group has high expectation, uh, the other group has really no expectation. You even say negative expectation. Like they think that she's dead, it's done. 
Um, I want to talk about uh, the woman in the crowd. We're going we're gonna to jump between these stories a little bit, but I am going to spend a little more time here on this story. Um, so the woman in the crowd says that she'd suffered for 12 years of constant bleeding. Interesting, Rebecca pointed out to me, it's 12-year-old girl, 12 years bleeding. That's really interesting. Um, the, uh, the things I want to say about her is 12 years of bleeding, there's a physical impact to her body. If you've been bleeding that long, physically you're not as strong. You're just not as strong as you might be. So she, she has declined a bit in health. Um, and so that's something, when you look at the images that are done, it's not always well represented. I picked this one from the Passion movie because I think it represents probably her, right? At, at least a little bit more than what some of the others do. She wasn't in a uh, pure white pressed uh, robe with a glow about her. That wasn't actually uh, happening right then. Um, so, because she'd been bleeding for 12 years, um, the life expectancy uh, in that time was 30 to 35 years old. Remember, you, you start to get of childbearing years, 12-ish. So let's say this started right when she turned 12. It's been happening for 12 years. She's 24 years old. She may or may not have kids because with that going on, um, she also can't have any sort of sexual relations with her husband. It's forbidden in the time. Um, right, because... Uh, the other thing is that she's unclean. She's ceremonial uncle- ceremonially unclean. Doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but it meant a whole lot then. Uh, she was unclean, and the way it works is that when a woman has her cycle, there's the end of it, and then she counts off seven days after that, and then there's a ceremonial bath, and then actually in Leviticus it talks about offering, doing some burnt offerings so that she can be clean again. It's not just not having sexual relations with her. It's also anyone who touches her becomes unclean. And it's not just touching her. It's that if she hands something to someone, if anything that's touching her touches them, they're unclean. So, for example, a robe uh, that someone is wearing, if she touches it, ceremonially unclean until the evening, until that night. Right? Um, so she's been bleeding like that for 12 years. In some areas, I don't know what it was like where she was, uh, the women would have a separate hut. It was a separate hut where they stayed because anything they sat on, anything they laid on, also became unclean. So there's a level of separation that happens here that I don't think we fully grasp when we just say, oh, there was a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Um, in other passages in the other Gospels, it says that she spent everything she had on doctors trying to get this fixed. So she's poor too on top of all this. So she's poor, she's unhealthy, she's uh, unclean, she's separated from her society, she can't go into a place of worship, she's separated from relationship with God as they know it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's depressed. Right? Uh, Think about your own life. Think about the things that you you deal with in your life. There's a little word that, it's, that it talks about in here. At the very end, it says, um, it says when, towards the, the bottom half, it says, when she realized that she couldn't stay hidden anymore. I think she was pretty good at hiding. She's pretty good at staying hidden, out of sight, away from everybody. It was kind of how she lived her life. 
I think it leads to depression. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to start by saying I am no uh, psychologist or counselor. Um, Eric told me he'd take all referrals uh, if, I, if anybody else talked to No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I'm not a professionalist, um, but I've read a book or two, and I know uh, some things that I've read, and I've experienced some things in life. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some references here, but I want to let you know I'm not a professional. Uh, so I want to make some reference and use this, this book called Lost Connections. If you've not read this book, uh, it's a great book. Um, it's a little bit of a shift on depression and anxiety, on what the causes of, of depression and anxiety are, and it, um, it has some new ideas or newer ideas on, on how you might address those things. But he talks about, he calls it nine different causes of, of depression and anxiety, um, there's really seven, and then he, and he has uh, the, the last one in genetics. He has it twice, and he says that they're not actually causes, they're impacts. So the, the things that he talks about that are causes are um, meaningful work, or uh, disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from other people, from meaningful values, from a childhood trauma, um, disconnection from status and respect, this connection from the natural world, being in nature, connecting with nature. Disconnection from a hopeful or secure future, just a loss of hope about the future. And then there is some genetic impact, but he says, hey, uh, genetics will um, make your response uh, more significant, but it doesn't cause it. It's in response to these other things, which are life circumstances. So um, all these things cause this, uh, but... Um, we don't know her exact situation, but I'm going to guess we could, we could cross those three out maybe. We don't know what her genetics were. She was probably pretty connected to nature, right, because they kind of lived out in the desert, forest, woods. I don't know what it was exactly, but somewhere outside. They were outside a lot. Um, and we don't know about her values. We have no idea. So meaningful values means that I do things for intrinsic value, not extrinsic value. I do it because it's meaningful to me, not because I have to do it because I need to get earn an income or I need to get uh, approval from somebody else. It's, it's internal. We don't know what her values were and what drove her in life. So we can cross those off just because we don't know. Um, what uh, Johan Hari says is that you know, any one of these can cause some level of depression and anxiety in your life two, three, four of these, pretty high odds. You're gonna experience something, it's only a matter of for how long and how deep it goes, and it really depends on how long and how deep these things happen. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I look at that list before the crossed out things, I can check a lot of those boxes, right? Um, I think that we have some uh, I think that we have a context in our society that lends itself to this. So I want to talk about that a little bit too. I'm trying to not go on a stretch here too far uh, away from our passage. We're going to get back to it in a minute. Um, but I think this is important stuff. So context, in Jesus' time, there were physical things that would cause separation, that would cause, you know, I think, uh, shame, that would cause really depression because of that separation from society and from others. Um, Things like leprosy, things like skin, any sort of skin disease, um, certainly bleeding, um, as we've talked about here, any kind of sickness. 
you became unclean and it separated you for whatever period of time that was. And so that separation, I think, does create some of that. What's interesting is, you know, when we think about our society, we are very focused on self. I'm not saying this is bad, um, uh, but we're very focused on self and we're very focused on, um, you know, my, my individual uh, progress on things. We're not focused on the outside as much, and that's, that's meaningful. Um, and I think through that, what we're doing is if we focus on self and we pull self away from significant relationships, we've just done to a degree the things that sickness and illness caused in Jesus' time. We pull back from society. We separate. Um, there was a study done that um, uh, before 2006, I don't remember the, the first study, that people in the U.S. would say they had three close friends. Three friends that in a crisis they could go to, in a, in a difficult situation, or that they'd share something significant with. They had three. In 2006, there was a study done, and uh, most people said zero. I have zero friends that I can go to. So I don't know if that's true of anybody here, but I know it's true in our world. I know it's true uh, for people in general, that we are independent and we, draw, and we withdraw. That's what we do. So I think all those things are true. I say, you know, you do you. We have these little phrases that we say, right? Um, you know, love yourself, self-care. We talk a lot about that. Don't let others define you. Those things are all true. So I don't want to say those aren't true. What I want to say is as we focus on ourselves and we pull back away, we really do create that separation um, that can lead to some level of anxiety. Um, there was an interesting study done uh, that... Uh, that uh, Johan uh, Hari refers to. He says, in different societies, it's different. In the U.S., it's more like this. Uh, you show this picture and you say, that girl right there, is she happy? And people in the U.S. look at her and say, oh yeah, she looks happy. In every other country, uh, they showed this picture and they looked at everyone around her and they said, no, she's not happy. How about that? In other countries, they define their happiness by the people around them. It's the place they look first. We look first at the individual, and we say, are they happy? Oh, yeah, they look happy. Hmm, that's interesting to me. So uh, what we've done historically is we've taken uh, that unhappiness, and we've said, um, you know, anxiety uh, and depression, we treat that with a chemical or some sort of a, a drug. And, and don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying if you're taking that, you should stop. Uh, so I, again, I'm no doctor, but I want to talk about it in other contexts. And this was another context for this. Um, they, try, they were trying to promote uh, drug, the same antidepressants in um, Cambodia. That was a place. So in Cambodia, uh, they had no word for antidepressant. They didn't have a word for it. They didn't understand what, they were, what the, the promoters were talking about. So they had to describe it a little bit further. And they said, oh, oh, yeah, we don't need antidepressants here. We already have them. They said, oh, what, what's it like? They said, yeah, there was a guy, um, and he stepped on a landmine, and it blew off his legs. Um, and so he couldn't, he got some prosthetic limbs, so that was great. He tried to work in the fields, in the rice field, caused him too much pain. He couldn't do his job, couldn't provide for his family. He got super depressed. So we bought him a cow. Um, and now he milks his cow. He can earn a living. He has purpose. He's not sad anymore. So there's their antidepressant. There's a cow in Cambodia, right? <laughs> it's interesting. We laugh. It's silly. Um, but... I think it's meaningful. What he wanted, what needed was a place in society. He needed meaningful work. He needed connection with people. He needed to provide for his family. 
That's where he found meaning. That's where his depression was, was in not being able to do those things. So we, we jump to these individual, it's, in, it's inside you, and let's fix the chemical imbalance, rather than say, hey, what if we get you a cow, right? As a response, there's one that was a little more urban um, outside of London where they built a garden in an alley. And it was a group of people that were depressed. And there's a clinic now where you go there and they prescribe connections for you. They don't prescribe medication, they prescribe connections. And these group of depressed people came together and they built a garden. And they weren't depressed anymore. I know that works 100% of the time because there are things that happen chemically and I'm not, I'm not saying those don't happen, but I'm saying maybe there's more. Maybe there's more to this that we can do um, as we think about it. So back to the Bible. So this physical healing that Jesus does for this woman, the, the, both these passages, passages as it relates to healing are, are complicated, I think. These aren't standard healing passages, and I'll tell you why in in a a minute, but I think there's a physical healing going on here, but there's a lot more, and I wonder, is that just happenstance? Well, did he just happen to stop her bleeding and accidentally restore her to community, accidentally restore her to relationship with people, accidentally pull her back into a place of worship? I don't think so. I, I think it was on purpose. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, Jesus is walking down the road and actually with a crowd of people pressing him, he's on his way to somebody's house whose daughter died that he's going to raise from the dead. He has a plan for the day. He has some stuff going on, right? And it what probably wasn't easy to stop because the crowds are all around him, but he stopped. He didn't just keep walking and say, oh, I just felt a little power out. I guess I healed somebody accidentally, Right? He stops and he engages with the person. Why did he do that? I think because he knew, right? I think, I think she was trying to hide and he knew. He goes on and he says to her, he doesn't say, hey, good job, you touched my robe, all better. He says, daughter, daughter. He doesn't just say, woman on the street who's poor, who doesn't have any family or friends with her who's been bleeding for 12 years. He doesn't say any of that. He says, daughter, one who is near and close to me, one who I love. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So two things there. Her faith has made her well and go in peace. Her faith has made her well. It's not, oh yeah, that's my magical slap robe that I heal people with. It wasn't about that. It was about, um, I've never heard that slap robe term before, by the way. Um, <laughs> I just made that up. Uh, that it was, it was really um, about her faith, about her pressing into Jesus, about her pursuit of that wholeness. Right? Um, he says, go in peace. Because at the time, again, remember, she's unclean. That unclean means that she is separated from God. There's a separation there. You are, you are separated from God in that unclean state, not at peace. This process, your faith, what you've done here in pursuing this and in touching me has restored you 100%. Go in peace. Be at peace with those around you. Be at peace with yourself. And I, think he, I think he restores her to society. I think he, re- I think he restores her heart, her soul. 
it's, it's not just he made her stop bleeding. I think he intentionally said, you are whole again. Go back and connect with society. Be a whole human again. I think he did that on purpose. I, I don't think he's accidental in that stuff, right? So uh, the other thing I want to talk about is just her in this because if I'm making some stretch connections, I get that, um, that, you know, there's some, I'm making a stretch connection that she's probably depressed. I'm making a stretch connection that we've done things that probably put us in that state. Um, And a lot of the things that we can do to recover that are about relationship and connection. But I think one of the, one of the primary connections that we have that we can control is our connection with Jesus. And I think the response today that I want to encourage us in with all this is, is this, um, that uh, she pursued Jesus. In other passages, it says, she, she thought, if I can touch him, then I'll be whole, that I'll be well. He had the, yeah, she had the desire, she had um, the motivation to move in and to press in towards Jesus. In whatever state you're in today, do that. You know, whatever place you're in, where you have either done something or you think you are something um, or you feel something that causes separation between you and anybody and you and, and especially you and Jesus, press in, go after him. It's, it's just a little bit, just a little bit um, that'll make you whole, that'll make you well, right? Chase after that with a full heart of faith um, because that's the second half is that... Um, that he says, your faith made you well, go in peace. And I think that's the, that's the magic potion. The reason I say this is, these passages are problematic is because we think about uh, Jesus, you know, he slaps some mud on, or he, tells, he dunks people, or he puts his hand on them, or he tells them a word, he does these things. He just walked by. He just walked by. So when you want to talk about this as Jesus healed this person, well, yes. The power of Jesus flowed through him. Power of God flowed through Jesus, through his robe, to this woman who chased him. So there was no, there was actually no uh, motivation or movement in the story by Jesus towards her. She did it, right? She chased it. So whether or not you believe that um, Jesus is chasing you or pursuing you, I think your pursuit is enough. Right? Your pursuit is enough for these things. I don't want to get so um, focused on the, um, the analogy with the emotional health to say, to imply in any way that I don't think Jesus raises people from the dead, that people uh, can be healed of physical things at all, because I believe that 100%. Right, 100%. But I think we often stop there. We say, it's physical stuff that Jesus can heal. And I think he wants all of you. I think he wants to, he wants to restore all of you, 100% of you. Okay? Um, so today I want to spend a little bit of time. Um, oh, uh, I want to go back a little bit to this one. Just to, close, <laughs> just to close this thing and say, at the end... Uh, at the end, some pretty amazing thing happened. He went into the room. Nobody, nobody believed. He said, nobody else can come in here. 
And he gets, he gets to the little girl and he says, my child, get up. My child, get up. So I want to end with those, with those two thoughts or, or two ideas is that, um, is that your pursuit of Jesus is important, right? um, that uh, your pursuit and wholeness uh, through him is important. And the second piece is that in a moment, uh, Jesus can say, my child, get up. And whether you're the one who thinks that you have bleeding and maybe some emotional separation from God. And wh- whatever those things are, whether you relate to that woman or you feel like, I'm the dead girl. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one who was too far gone. I'm the one who's just done for. I'm, I'm cut off from everything. I'm emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, dead. You're not too far. You're not too far, right? Um, Jesus can, in a moment, say, get up, my child. So here's what I want to do, okay? I know this is a little bit unconventional. We're okay. We end at like 10.30, right? That, yeah, okay, good. We're good. Um, so a little bit, little bit unconventional, except that I do it almost every time, so it's not unconventional that way. I want to do clinic time, okay? Clinic time, who's done cl- clinics before? Who's done study? You know, you guys, you've done clinic time. I know other nursing, you've done clinic time. It's when you get hands-on, right? It's when you do the stuff. So I want you guys to break into groups of three or four, right? If you don't know the people that are near you, awesome. That's super good. Um, if you want to get by people that you don't know on purpose, on purpose, even better, okay? And I want you guys to spend a few minutes talking, and I want you to spend a few minutes praying. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to only talk about and only pray about the people you're with. I don't want you to talk about somebody who might... My Aunt Betty, who has a sore toe. I don't want to talk about that stuff, okay? Because I think if you have three or four people, I know if you have three or four people, there's stuff going on. There's stuff going on. It's not stuff like, if you, if you want to say, hey, my daughter just had her baby at 26 and a half weeks, and um, he, he's, he's got some struggles, okay, great. I'll pray for you because you're struggling right now with that. Right? In the moment, when you go home, pray for the baby. That's great. But now, pray for the person that's with you. Okay? And if there's no physical thing wrong, awesome. I'm guessing somebody in the group, maybe everybody in the group, has some emotional thing going on, has some separation thing going on. So I want to spend the next, let's say, about six minutes or so um, doing that. So we got to move quick, and then we're going to close with a little bit of worship. Is that right? Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.